0: Welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today is Draft Day. Because of that, I'm gonna be talking about the 2021 NBA draft class, just doing a bit of a redraft from picks one to eighteen, getting two thunder picks in the mix, and just seeing like how the league would look. If there was a redraft and to cap it all off, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. Starting things out though, obviously as we know, the NFL Draft is commencing tonight. We'll see how everything unfolds. I think Aiden Hutchinson is projected to go number one. I've heard you know some other other sayings as well on who might go there, but it should be uh, pretty fun for me. Um, I actually became a bears fan about like three months ago. I made an agreement with some of my friends that we'd be bears fans. They don't even have a first round pick tonight. So it's going to be fun and it's going to be a very fun time of uh, rooting for the bears. We'll see how they're doing post naggy, but Uh, going to the NBA draft here. I didn't want to do the 2022 class just yet, just because I am scouting a little more. So we're going to go to this year's current rookie class. I know down to Dunk, they actually had one of these earlier on in the week. Very good listen. If you guys have not, make sure to check them out. I think most of you guys probably have been followers of them for a very long time, have some awesome pods, and I believe they'll be doing Uh, Not just the 2021 draft class, but some of the ones before that as well and the weeks approaching the draft. With this, I'm just going to keep it to one right now. If you guys really like it, maybe I'll go back a couple more years as well. But the way that I wanted to do it was I wanted to keep the exact same teams uh, in their set draft positions. Now, one thing that could change up is potential trades because in the top 10, you saw uh, the 10th pick get dealt from New Orleans to Memphis due to like the Valentunas Adam Swappage, and then the Pels got that number 17 pick. And then OKC was even involved at number 16. I think just for the sake of it, we're going to say that those two deals still happened, though it would be very fun if OKC held on to that number 16 pick. We're going to start though at the very top of the board with the Detroit Pistons, obviously they were struggling mightily going into the draft. They had Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart, and Jeremy Grant. That's kind of what they were working with. Killian Hayes, uh, Hayes was a dud when they got him in the top, I think, seven picks. So, who do they take? I mean, the clear options are the players that finished top three in Rookie of the Year. Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, and Scotty Barnes. I think Barnes is kind of... Ticked away from that group though. Definitely the ceiling is high with him. Um, but I don't know positionally if that's what Detroit really needed. And even in retrospect, I don't think they need Scotty Barnes on that team. Obviously, he's a big improvement, but he's not going to do better than Mobley or Cunningham in my eyes. I think Cade Cunningham still stays despite finishing third and rookie of the year voting. This is going to be a theme that I'll be using, you know, kind of in bits and pieces here. But I think potential is still something you need to go off of in these redrafts. So someone who's in a bad situation, uh, this draft class, I don't think should be punished extremely for being in that spot. If they still had potential and it seems like it hasn't been tapped into yet, they're going to be on this board. You know, It doesn't matter if they hardly averaged anything or hardly touched the court. If they were looking good in those stints or they made some strides, I think it's fair to put them... Uh, where they are in this top 18 so Cade ends up getting it really don't need to go over this one but you know he's gonna bring you a lot of potential six foot eight point guard coming fresh off a season averaging 17 five and five I mean come on you know he shot 40 percent with uh, Oklahoma State as a freshman this season with the Pistons obviously he wasn't at that level but you know, the numbers are on par with what you would like with him. So Cade sticks around at number one. For number two, you have the Houston Rockets. And this honestly was one of the more difficult selections I had to make. Because with Houston, I don't think they made, they made a bad decision at all with Jalen Green. I had him number two on my big board. And I kind of stand by it. I know whenever I was doing those... Uh, episodes last summer on my big board. Cade was one A, and Jalen Green was one B. And then you went down to number two, who uh, was or the the second tier, not even the second tier really. But Evan Mobley was third on my big board. Right. I really thought that the gap between Cunningham and Green were not that far off though. And Jalen Green didn't start this year particularly well with Houston. He had a very good game against the Thunder, probably a week to play. But then, inefficiency just started to kill him. Josh Getty took, month after month, the Western Conference Rookie of the Year, and he was only able to salvage the last Rookie of the Month award, averaged about 23 points in that month. So, he was balling out. I think that's worth the number two pick. However, I think you gotta kinda tap into your mind here and tap into what is going on in this draft class and say, well... I think even though Jalen Green is worth this number two pick, even in the redraft, even if Mobley, Barnes had better years, he's still worthy of being the number two pick in this. However, the Rockets did not perform well this year. I think no matter what, honestly, doesn't matter which rookie... Uh, gets on the team you could put cunningham on this team even and they were not making the playoffs they were really just bad this year you know they were last in the league for a reason and they're going into the draft with the number one pick odds for the second season in a row when you look at the 2022 draft class though there are multiple guard options you have Jaden ivy and you have shade and sharp those are two top five candidates they're going to be in the top five somewhere. So one of those guys will be available even in the worst case scenario for Houston. Outside of that, you start to see a lot of small forwards. That's where Paolo comes in. Uh, You get Jabari Smith as a potential four prospect and then even Chet at the four and five. However, I think if you're looking at it from the lens of, let's say they take Jalen Green. Well, now if they want to fill out that five spot, you're basically hoping it comes down to Chet and you hope he develops. With Evan Mobley, he had a stellar season with the Cavs this year. I don't think you can go wrong with it. So I think Evan Mobley is the pick because you get Mobley on board. KPJ, if he's on and you know he's able to, uh, to kind of stay, that's a good piece you have. And going into this draft class, I think the board is still available for just about everybody. The way that it worked with Jalen Green, even though I think he's going to be averaging a crap ton of points for the Rockets, He could very well surpass everybody. I think the ceiling with him is just actually insane. You want to go with Mobley just in terms of how you could potentially fit this team uh, headed forward. And number three, Cleveland's there. Jalen Green is still there. However, another case of might not be the best fit. Scotty Barnes is going to go to Cleveland here. They need a center. Yes, You still have Jared Allen, though, so you're not doing that bad um, because we're going to say all the trades happened as well. So they got Jared Allen on the team. Um, I think, though, that they're already loaded at the the guard positions. You have Garland. You have Sexton. Adding a third guard in Jalen Green could cause some issues. So, Scotty, he falls there. You don't really have to second-guess it. Then you go to the toronto raptors and with toronto it is difficult because the value in Jalen green is wild i think that his array of shot creation is very difficult to find in this league his step back is insane if you watched him with the g-league ignite you know exactly what i'm talking about his film is out of this freaking world and he had those moments with houston but this draft was so top heavy and so dominant, I don't think you could go wrong. I think as long as you're in the top five, you are a very damn good prospect. And who's falling in the top five? Jonathan Kaminga. I think Kaminga goes to Toronto. You look at what they need. Jalen Green is going to get you the numbers. But, you know, Toronto is one of those teams where I think they're really built off of just the defensive ability and having those scrappy type of players. It was between Kuminga or Franz for me, but I think Kuminga gets the edge with his explosive athleticism. You're going to pair him up with guys like OGN and Obi, and I think that's kind of a good matchup uh, you could have headed forward. I had Kuminga pretty high on my big board. You can check my uh, previous site before I hopped on with SI, Bricktown Beat. My big board had Kuminga, I believe, top five in the draft class, and... That was the guy I thought OKC was going to take. I was really sold on it. I enjoyed the fit there. Even if he couldn't shoot the basketball, very high on just about every other aspect of his play. When it terms to get, in terms of getting angles around the cup, you're not going to find a better player in this draft class than Kuminga. You know, if you're looking at the elbow, you're looking at the block. He's able to use his footwork to kind of create a little bit of separation and get those layups off. In terms of lobs, he's catching him any day of the week in transition. He's a monster. Defensively, I really enjoy his play. Just comes down to the shot. I think that Toronto would be willing to take on that challenge, and that's where you get Kuminga. Number five, easy, easy choice. He should not have fallen this far, but he did. Jalen Green is going to Orlando. This is exactly what they need. They need that firepower on this roster. Do they have a crap ton of guards already? Absolutely, they do. They got Jalen Suggs here a year ago, though. They were going for who they thought the best player was available. And Jalen Suggs was expected to be the number four pick in this draft class. That's something that I don't think people are going to forget. But it was very obvious. It was pretty hard to see someone say that Suggs was going number five. I had him number eight on my big board in this draft class because... I thought he was a very good passer, but I was not sold on the other areas of his abilities. He does have the potential, of course, but he was not good as a rookie. That kind of tanks him down. In the case of Jalen, just too many flashes of greatness. They need a scorer, and they need Jalen Green. That brings you to pick number six with the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's not much of a surprise here, but I'm going to go into the pick in one second here. First... I want to talk about a very special offer, though, going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NBA playoffs means next-level basketball. Get in on the first-round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet during the first round with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, place a same-game parlay each day with three or more legs and get up to $25 in free bets back If one leg doesn't hit, here's what you have to do for the offer go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of the playoffs, and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the nba minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply see show notes for details moving on though going to pick number six with the okc thunder we knew how it was on draft night it was jonathan kaminga or it was james book night i don't really think there was another option maybe i'd say scotty barnes was in the conversation but in like the 48 hours leading into the draft it appeared that he was going to go in the top five. Like the draft stock had clearly surpassed pick number six. And OKC at six really wasn't going to get there without some sort of trade package. This is where you kind of get a little break in the action because I think that top five is very difficult to beat. You can still sneak in. There are some very good players, but there's a break in the action. Josh Giddy was dominant all season long, but... He doesn't break top five. He sticks with a Thunder at pick number six, and that is that's insanely good value. You know, if your sixth best player out of a draft class is giddy, and he was averaging, you know, the numbers he was in year number one, you know that the draft class is in very good hands. He gave it all this year for OKC. You know, he led uh, rookies in assists, second most in rebounds, and he was even dabbling inside you know, for some buckets. Ended up with four triple doubles on the season, three of them coming in succession, tying Oscar Robertson there. This is the kind of player that OKC would want. Now, there are still questions on the fit. You know, Josh Giddy had an interview this past week, I believe it was, I don't know if it was ESPN Australia or just an outlet in Australia, my apologies, but they, uh, they asked him a few questions on like fitting with someone like SGA. And he used the comparison of Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Those are two very on-ball players. You know, they need the basketball in their hands to kind of create for themselves. It's how it works with SGA, and it's definitely how it works with Giddy as well. I mean, SGA's led the league in drives, or at least been in the top three last two seasons, uh, by a pretty fair margin. He's always up there because that's just where the offense starts. With Josh Giddy. He's not really an off-ball piece either. He needs the ball in his hands. Sounds like they're working towards kind of uh, finding the, the sweet spots where they're both uh, not just really good on ball, but off the ball they're able to become very experienced and kind of mesh well in that regard. I don't think you're going to find a player with that skill set outside of Josh Giddy right here, and that makes the pick easy. It's clean cut for Oklahoma City, and they're keeping Giddy in Oklahoma. Number 7, Golden State. Initially, they brought in Kuminga. This was the best player available pick easily for them. There was some um, talk Bob Myers had, and Draymond Green was the one who bitched the idea of taking Kuminga. Set it around the fourth pick, and he was obviously there at seven, so went ahead and took him. He's been very good for Golden State when he sees the court. He's not available, though, and that leaves it to Franz Wagner to take the number seven pick. This one's not very close. When you look at what Golden State needs, they need that defensive ability, which Franz brings, but also that three-point shot, which he has in his arsenal. So this is really a match made in heaven. When you're talking potential, I think you would say Kuminga has that higher ceiling, of course. But for right now and for what Golden State needs, Franz checks the boxes, and he still does have some room to potentially uh, grow as an overall prospect. This is the three and D uh, kind of darling that you'd want. And for them in the playoffs right now, they could most definitely use some more shooters. They already have the Splash Bros and then Jordan Poole just emerging. Add Wagner there, pin him in the corner. You're going to see some success from him. Kuminga is not really shooting at that high of a clip. You'll just see him kind of closing out games or defending at the four at times, uh, trying to help in terms of defensive uh, intensity. But he sticks around at seven, and this basically stays pretty part of the course here. Only member that was not drafted uh, in the top seven who is still available is Jalen Suggs. And at number eight, you have Orlando. Initially picked him at five. You could swoop him up at pick number eight. I don't think they do that, though. You look at the Magic and... You kind of have to think, like, where do they want to go? They just picked up Jalen Green, so I think that X is out the guard positions. Now you're looking at wings and potentially even bigs. We're going to say the deal still happens. They got Mobamba, They have Window Carter. It gets narrowed down to the three or four in my eyes, and it comes down to two guys, in my opinion, either Herb Jones or Trey Murphy, two Pelicans. Trey was picked at 17, and you had Herb go at pick number 35, I believe. It was insane the sort of value they were able to pull out of this draft. End up taking the first round draftee, though, in Trey Murphy, the third here. This is one that could really surprise some people because, in terms of potential, you'd be like, why this guy? You know, why would you take Murphy over? someone like Jalen Suggs, someone like James Booknight, someone that you know could really prosper. It's because the Magic are one of those teams that always just look to fill in like roles. You know, this is how the organization is run. If you're looking to find a shooter in this draft class, it's not Corey Kispert right now. The best shooter is going to be Trey Murphy. He absolutely killed it in the summer league and like preseason play. And that's when I was hooked on him. But he continued to play at that high of a level leading into the season. He shot 38% from three this year, taking three attempts per game. And at the foul line, he shot 88%. Now, he didn't play a lot here, but this is why I kind of talked about it. If there's potential and there's room to kind of fill into a role somewhere, I'm going to move you up on the board. This is easily the biggest one that I have and probably the most dramatic that I'm going to have on this list. But I think he earns it. He's only 21 years old. Orlando has been desperate for shooters. Franz filled that at, you know, their initial pick here. But he's gone now, and I don't think you get another shooter on that level outside of what Trey brings. And even defensively, he's pretty nice. Six-foot-nine wing, you're able to build around that. And I think you go home pretty happy. Orlando shot just a hair above 33% this year. That was 28th in the league. Murphy is going to help alter that and potentially get something going uh, as a corner sitter. Sacramento's at nine. And Sacramento made a very crazy trade this year. Um, Trade in Tyrese Halliburton to get Sabonis. And surface level, I don't know if it was like insanely bad. Like obviously Sabonis is very, very talented. He might be better than what you have in Halliburton right now. Uh, But Halliburton's younger, he has the potential, and the Kings are just not ready to contend in the playoffs right now. Either way you cut it, I think it's the exact same result for Sacramento, like, whether Sabonis gets dealt, or you still have Tyrese and you have De'Aaron, I think they double dip on guards again. Like, they picked Davion Mitchell at 9, and that's kind of where you started to see, like, some of those questions emerge like what's gonna happen with this roster stuff like that you go with Jalen Suggs you get the best player available and what do you know man he um he basically is the exact same as what you get in Fox and what you get in Halliburton I'm not here to make the rules right like I'm just trying to be kind of realistic I want to get into that mindset and in terms of you know what you could have in the potential factor and what they'd probably do, Suggs is is gonna be there at nine. They're gonna take Jalen Suggs and, and deal with it. Very good playmaker, just not a great season for them. You kind of look at him as like a potential um starter almost. You know, whenever I graded him, I thought that he would be a very good bench player, uh, potentially like a, a solid starter. I don't know. I think that this is probably the, the best choice. Now, I did consider actually taking Alpern Sengun Sangoon here, but then you get into the details of does this trade happen, does it not. And even though Sangoon would be amazing, I think that would give a really like fun lineup with him and Halliburton and even De'Aaron Fox there because they can all really pass the basketball. Jalen Suggs is where they're going to go, and you'll see what they do in terms of transactions. They'll definitely make one with one of those three going to the final pick in the top 10 though you have the Memphis Grizzlies and their first pick was Zaire Williams he was projected to go probably in the 20s in my mock draft I believe and most big boards had him pegged around 25 this is a guy coming out of Stanford that had some definite hops had some potential defensive ability but he really didn't have that full package it seemed like with the Grizz this year he kind of lived up to that number 10 ranking and he's still relatively young. So I think he has that value. However, you have a guy in Herb Jones from New Orleans who also has that. Herb Jones, earlier in the playoff series between the Pels and the Suns, was rejecting anything in the general vicinity. And those types of blocks and those defensive efforts are nothing new with him. And then he can also shoot the three ball a little bit. The Grizzlies pride themselves upon defensive ability, and this isn't just from like the grit and grind era where you got Junkyard Dog and Marcus Gasol. This is in the now where you have Ja Morant, the, one of the most athletic point guards we've seen, just posterizing people. Desmond Bain, one of the most lethal 3 and D players on the block right now. Kyle Anderson, Jaron Jackson, Brandon Clark, Steven Adams even. Their team is constructed around just grittiness. Herb Jones is extremely gritty. You put him on this roster, you're going to see some crazy results, and the rotations are going to be lethal for them. They're already one of the top teams. When you're, you're looking at the youngest teams with the most success. Memphis is up there. They're probably number one. This boosts them up yet again, picking up a guy in Herb Jones. That moves to pick number 11, though, with the Charlotte Hornets. And this is where James Booknight went. Booknight was seen as like the Halliburton of last year. Consensus top eight pick just about everywhere. Probably top seven. Seemed like OKC was the spot for him, and it didn't end up being that way. Still keeps sliding. I don't think the Hornets take him again. They take another guard, though, and they take Trey Man, this is one that I was having to think about a little bit because they didn't utilize James Booknight really at all this season. They didn't use Booknight, and they didn't use Kai Jones. They picked both of them. I believe Kai was either 18, or he would have been 19. Yeah, I think he was 19 in this draft class. But they were basically playing with the Greensboro Swarm most of the year because they never could create the footing here. Once again, this was one of those where Sengun was brought in the equation as a potential pickup, but I just couldn't see it. You know, if you had Kai, I don't know. I don't think that's the move. I think that when you're looking at who you have on roster right now, it's basically the LaMelo Ball show. You still have a lot of depth in those guard positions, don't get me wrong, but I think, next to LaMelo, you want to pair him up with a very good shot creator. Out of this draft class, I think the top three guard shot creators would be Jalen Green at number one, and then you have Trey Mann and Deshaun Bones Highland. Even Cam Thomas could sneak in there. But I think it's between Bones Highland and Trey Mann, in my opinion. The way that Mann closed the year, I think, says it all with him. The step back is... On par with some of the better players in the league, started getting back into the floater. This is a double digit score waiting to happen with a guy like LaMelo. This is a crazy passer. He's able to play basically street ball on any given night. This is a tandem I think you'd want moving forward. And Book Knight is also a shot creator, but it's not to the same degree. He has stuff like step backs in his arsenal. Between the legs, going into like behind the backs, are also one of his stronger suits. But it's not on that level, and I don't think he has necessarily uh, the step and burst that you'll find in Trey. So Trey is now out of the Thunder's grasps, right outside the top 10, but he's a lottery selection. This could be seen as like a homer pick or just because I've seen a lot of Thunder basketball. But I really do think this matches pretty well for what the Hornets would want and what would work alongside LaMelo Ball. Number 12 had Joshua Primo going to San Antonio. I'm a very big fan of that selection and I'm not sure if it would necessarily change. I think though that at this current spot you have more very young potential plot prospects on the board and Albrin Sangoon is there. Sangoon was considered a lottery candidate, kind of like a late lottery to mid first. He did go to 16 and then obviously got traded over to Houston. I like him at 12 though, because San Antonio has a very good core of centers. Like Yaka Pirtle is one of the more underrated centers in the league. Jock Landale is also there as a backup, but I think that Sangoon adds a really nice touch into that lineup. Primo, has shown flashes with the Spurs, he's the youngest guy in the league right now, he doesn't turn 20 until like Christmas basically, I like the the idea of filling out that five though, because though Pirtle is very good, Sangoon kind of just fits what San Antonio is about right now, you know, he brings that passing flavor, it's like that, st- like it's almost like that I don't know if, it, if you deem it a stereotype, but like San Antonio always seems to just draft international players for one reason or another. And it always works out. Sangoon is a very good international player and he's arguably going to be on the list for second team all rookie. Does it happen? Probably not, but he could very well be in the mix and collect some boats in the process. This is someone who has shown that he is insanely skilled at throwing the basketball around. The court vision is wild In terms of his play from three, he's dabbled in it with some potential. I think that's initially why they picked Primo, just the idea of fostering a player up. Sangoon is someone that they also can kind of build from the bottom up, but he already has some very good traits that you're able to work with. So you end up taking him. Are there still some very good prospects you could mold? Absolutely, but you're not going to find him at the center position. Number 13, Indiana Initially selected Chris Duarte. And Duarte was like on the top of the rookie ladder for the first month or two. Very skilled. And I think he averaged about 13 by the end of the year. But he's 24. And Indiana is not looking to make the playoffs. They kind of threw the red flag. And, you know, they started just trading, number one. But, you know, now you're looking at a unit where Tyrese Halliburton's running the show. You saw them kind of tank their way to the end of the season, going for a high draft pick, and they got rid of Demonis Sabonis. They're looking to start from the ground up, and even though Duarte gives you a very good player, I think potential wise, I'd rather go for James Booknight. Booknight did not have a good year. I think, just like Suggs, this was just not a good shakeout for him. But, you know, Booknight wasn't playing with the team he didn't get ample opportunities like some of these other guys and the growing pains really were non-existent it was just getting thrown out a couple times and if it didn't work out it didn't work out kind of just like tough luck to him for the pacers and for what they're going for I think book night fits in perfectly Tyrese Halliburton is a great distributor I think this is someone you could pair him up with fairly well and then obviously you can round him out with some of the other guys on the roster but he healed is there as a shooter if they're able to keep him around TJ Warren's kind of the same if he's healthy and they can also keep him around. A lot of questions surrounding the roster, but one thing's for certain. I think that Book Knight and the shot creation is something that keeps him in the lottery even after a sour first season. Capping out that lottery, though, you have the Golden State Warriors again. They got Franz Wagner uh, in the, the first pick at number seven. What do they need, though? And I went back and forth between a couple of different guys. Chris Duarte was one of them because he is a scorer. But you got to realize now that, you know, they've kind of figured out their their scoring lineup. You have Curry, Thompson, Jordan Poole. And then even like Gary Payton is another person that uh, you can fixate on at the five. Even though they could use some help right now, you still have James Wiseman as someone to kind of build off of. And I'm not sure if you'd want to add another five to kind of create that competition. So this is more of just taking someone you really believe in and someone to give you some positives. Duarte does it. I think Desumu also does. So I'm going to Io from Chicago. Second round steal for the Bulls. He goes in the lotto now, though. This one is centered around just the defensive ability. They already have it with Gary Payton, so you could say it's redundant. I don't necessarily think so. He's a very smart passer as well, and you're not going to see a very big uh, stretch of mistakes with him. I think that's what they need. They need to find those more disciplined guys to throw on the roster if you're looking to contend. Find those guys who are kind of wise for their age group. Sumu is definitely that, and that gives him the lottery grade from me number 15 sees the Washington Wizards back on the clock initially they got Corey Kispert they're not going to be going for much right now you do have some injuries Bradley Beal was out for a decent chunk of the year I think they go with Davion Mitchell and might be asking why like I think ideally you would have wanted to because you need that point guard spot but Bradley Beal was running point guard at some stints this season and Davion is not only is a nice offensive kick, but defensively as well, he's able to give you a bit of the edge that you are looking for. He has a lot more potential that I think people give him credit for. I don't know exactly why that would be. I know he's a little bit up there in terms of like the age group of a rookie, but he's still, you know, just like 23. So he's going to turn 24 um, like by the start of next year, which you know, can be pretty damn valid if I'm going to be honest with you, but he's already at a really good level and he's only got one season under his belt. You got to remember, he's playing with the Baylor Bears before this. That's when they went on their national championship run. I think this is one where, you know, the the Wizards could throw in that curveball and shoot for potential, but this is a a really good blend of a great skill set and someone who honestly shouldn't be this far down on the board right here. 16 has Houston. I say the deal still happens because they are looking to fill in a new role. They picked up their center and Evan Mobley at number two, but they missed out on selecting a guard prospect because of it. Now, later on in the draft, they selected Joshua Christopher. I'm not even sure if they do it in a redraft because they're going to take one at 16. That is the Sean Bones Highland out of VCU. Bones Highland was the G League darling, or the Combine darling, I guess you could say. Don't think he touched uh, the G League waters, actually, but he was at the NBA Combine kind of as like the the under-the-radar player to watch, and then he was on every single radar. Three-pointers were going down like crazy for him. Seemed like he was just on a whole different level. Most of these players were ranging from, like, early seconds to undrafted. So I remember Jericho Sims was one of the uh, big guys to watch out for in that one, so that kind of lets you know the range. But, you know, he was outclassing all the second-round picks and even some first-rounders. He did that this year. You know, damn near averaging double digits per game for the Nuggets. They had Jamal Murray out, which gave him that spotlight, and he's able to get hot quickly. I don't know if he's the same microwave as Jalen Green but this is a very good start and a very good pick to find in the middle of the first round. 17 has the Pels on the board. They already missed out because their initial two picks were gone in the top 10. I think they still retain one of their guys though and this is one that might tick some people off because you know you still have Chris Duarte on the board but I think they still go with Jose Alvarado. Like It could be seen as stupid, and I can see people being upset with him going at 17, but let's just picture this first round matchup without Jose Alvarado for a second. He's just destroying right now. He's causing so much havoc against Phoenix. It's led to him, you know, getting kicked in the nuts. It's only going to be a flag one for Chris Paul, but you know, he's, angering him, and i think he's kind of that spark that's just ignited the entire pelicans roster they're about as scrappy as it gets right now and it's putting the suns in a very vulnerable spot that's going to yield some results and they're going into an elimination game six in new orleans right now we'll see how um that one ends up but jose has one one of the major storylines he played a full four seasons at georgia tech i get it maybe you're able to get him at 35. Honestly, I don't know. I think with, you know, how some of these contenders would work out, they'd see Jose and they'd they'd say, you know what, there's not really another guard out there right now that could give us uh, this production defensively. So we'll say he goes there. I think this is a good role player you could have uh, for the next good bit of time. You know, we'll see when the legs run out, but the motor is very hard to find right now. So That's why Jose slots in at 17. And then at 18, you have OKC. OKC has some options. You could stick part of the course on just the initial draftees. JRE was at 32. At 55, you got Aaron Wiggins. I don't think you do that right here, even though they need a center. Other selections such as Isaiah Jackson and Kai Jones really don't do it for me. I think they just stick to going best player available and kind of the highest potential available. Trey Mann was what I believe fit that category because surface level OKC had kind of already filled out their guard rotation. They had SGA. They had Alude Dort. You just picked up Josh Giddey at six. Tao led you in minutes last year and even Ty Jerome was good. And then you got Trey as sort of like an extra chip. And he ended up becoming a very valuable one by the end of the year, but it was just one of those freebies, it seemed like. I don't know if they shoot at this uh, shooting guard position anymore. Cam Thomas would be the best, like, replacement, I guess you could say, if you wanted that microwave. I believe they go for the three, though. The small forward spot is one that I think needs some repair for OKC, And they'll be hoping to do it in the draft. Like, if they get in the top four somewhere, that's when you'll see someone like Paolo or someone like Jabari really help them. But currently, you're trying to figure out who the three is. Is it Josh or is it Lou? Behind him, is it Kenrich? Is Veet going to be servicing some minutes? I think you shoot for the stars. You go after someone who really didn't even play in the NBA this year, but... I think he showed enough at the G League level at least to warrant him going in the first. It's Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson killed it for the College Park Skyhawks this year. Him and Sharif Cooper were a dynamic duo. Yes, is the competition level like a bit worse? Sure. But Jalen hardly even played in college. Let's say that after being that five-star recruit, he went directly to the G League Ignite and he put on the exact same numbers he did. I don't know how he goes to number 20. That's initially where he fell and that's where he kind of got to the spot of being like expendable to the point of just being in the G League all the time. But I mean, he would have been probably the best guy on on the G League Ignite. If you're going to say the best G League Ignite player last year, I'd say it was between maybe Jaden Hardy and Scoot Henderson. I'd say Scoot Henderson would have more traction, but Scoot is not going to be in the draft until next draft. Jalen Johnson averaged 21.1 points for College Park, 11 rebounds and 4.3 assists, 30% from three. Not so great at the foul line, but inside was destroying the frame at six foot nine 220 pounds is right where you would like it to be the big issue coming into this was potentially he had some anger problems that kind of kept him away like in high school and then also in college like the idea of him being a quitter he didn't really quit for college park and i didn't see much going on on the hawks front when he was assigned they use the blue system Oklahoma City does this that's why Aaron Wiggins is up that's why Lou Dort is up I feel like they would have taken Jalen and probably played him with the blue but if he stayed playing at this high of a rate I can assure you by the end of the season it wouldn't have been Kredge playing 40 minutes it would have been Jalen Johnson playing 40 minutes and he would have been doing that probably since post all-star break OKC has to be the best incubator right now for these young prospects. There are a lot of them, which makes the competition extremely difficult. But when they really put the care into it, we've seen a lot of diamonds just come out of nowhere. Jalen Johnson could be that. I really do think the potential is is there if he does get the time of day at the NBA level. I love his palette, and I think that's exactly what Oklahoma City would need. So that's going to cap it for this one. If you went down to 19-20, Uh, All this and that. You'd still have guys like Zaire Williams and Chris Duarte there. I know Moses Moody was deemed like the dream prospect had he fallen to 16. Went a pick before uh, to go um, down to—or excuse me, went to the Warriors at 14, so two picks before. But I think now you'd still be okay with the Hall of Giddy and then Jalen Johnson— it's not as good as what you had the first time, but that's just how it goes in redrafts. You keep it a little bit more even, and you don't get all the stars. Kind of uh, makes it all all work out here. But that does it for today's episode. That concludes the draft coverage from the 2021 draft. We're going to be going into the 2022 draft class in the next couple of weeks. Just bear with me here as I get those evaluations in, and as I round out some of the other stuff going on. Should be over in a week, and then I can fully kind of commit to getting those large-scale evaluations out of the way. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.